self-reflective. Yeah! I'm Paige. I'm Peter. I'm Nicholas. And today we're going to be talking about a book we all read together called The Shipping News by Annie Prue. This is the second time we have recorded this podcast. The first time was like, I want to say it was like almost two months ago. <laughs> I think it was, and uh, there were some technical glitches, and it's really sad because we had a really good podcast. I swear we did. We did, and now it's been a long time since we all finished the book, so I hope it's still a good show. So, um, I guess maybe the first thing we want to do, maybe even to, like, refresh our own memories, is maybe go over the plot a little bit. Yeah, it sounds like a good idea. So, Peter, what is this book about? Um, should I go from cover to cover in about... 20 to 30 seconds. Okay, so there's going to be spoilers in this because we're obviously talking about the entire book. Or okay. should I not? Go. Okay, um, the main character, I even forget his name. What's his ma- name? Coil. Coil. The Coil is struggling, um, I think, in a major metropolitan city, possibly New York. I'm not sure, but he's struggling, at, um, and he's... Um, in love and married with kids to someone um, who doesn't uh, who doesn't treat him well. Um, in the process of not treating him well, she gets into a car wreck with a with a, a child molester and dies. So his wife is pedal is dead. Well, I don't think the guy in the car is a child molester. She gave the kids to a child molester before she drove off with the guy. So not the best mother. <laughs> anyway, um, he does have some experiences in, as a newspaper um, in his city. And so he decides to move to um, the country where he's born or like where his family was born. Where his family origin, his aunt live there with his dad, and I believe yeah. Coyle is just American. Yeah, and so he moves to New- Newfoundland. Newfoundland, Newfoundland, which is a really big, different culture, and it takes a big adjustment, but he does make the adjustment, and in the end, he does find, as I think the, the last lines of the book go, love without pain. Is that how it goes? Yeah, that's how it goes. I don't, I don't think it's the, the exact quote, but that seems to be the theme of the book is love without pain might be possible. Yeah. Yeah. Nicholas, do you have anything to add to Peter's synopsis? Not much. I mean, there's other things that happen in the book. I, I think it's kind of a journey of self-discovery and hope or it's meant to be that you know going from the very bitter midst of despair to okay maybe life can suck less um and i think in part of in this journey coil really discovers where he belongs he discovers what a romance could be done if it's done right you know he discovers what he's good at which he never really got any positive feedback about before. Yeah, he he finds he finally finds his place in the world. That's that's really what I got out of the out of the book and out of his journey. 
Yeah, I would say that's definitely the basic plot outline. Um, the book itself is kind of like about the details of everyday life. So it can feel like it's kind of slow moving at times. It's not like a plot driven book. But yeah, basically Coyle's like very downtrodden and he, he ends up moving after the death of this woman who's super hung up on to a really small, isolated area where his family's from. And, and people there pretty much embrace him, and he gets a job that he likes and um, kind of, like, blooms a little bit. This is a question I always ask. What three words would you use to describe this book? Nicholas. Depressing. <laughs> Slow. And... I'm going to go with depressing again. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so pretty depressing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a little bit depressing. Yeah, I'll go with Nick on this. I'll go with um, depressing, gritty, and and hopeful. Okay, so the three words I would use to describe this book... Um, Many sentence fragments. Because <laughs> this book is full of sentence fragments. And reading it out loud, I really noticed it. It felt like it was like 80% sentence fragments. But as far as adjectives like you guys have supplied goes, I would say that it's an atmospheric book. Um, I would use the word boring, although I don't necessarily agree with that assessment entirely. And I would also say sweet. I think it's interesting you think it's depressing and I think it's sweet because those are kind of like opposites. Yeah, that is um, interesting. So, yeah, why do you think it's depressing? Uh, well, it's... It, it, the whole frame of the book is very low expectations, very low hopes, very, like, you know, he's not hoping for the Eiffel Tower or something grandiose that I can't think of. He's hoping for life to suck less, um, which really mirrors my own journey. So as I was reading the book, um, I was kind of disappointed because I was hoping there would be some sort of escapism from my life. And the first, uh, you know, third of the book is like, oh, yeah, okay, this guy might have it worse than me, but I relate to this guy way too well. Can it get happy, please? Yeah, it was very realistic. Yeah, it was very realistic, very, I want to say mute, but I don't know if that's the right word, but it, it, it never, it never got too happy. It didn't end sad, like, it wasn't a sad ending, it was a hopeful ending, but it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a Disney book, (laughs) for lack of better terminology, you know, it wasn't like... And they lived happily ever after, and the daughter will never see creepy white dogs again. Do you want to explain why you think it was hopeful, Peter? The book really did, as Nicholas say, lay a really good foundation of of uh, deprav- like depravity of of everyday living. Right, he kind of gets crapped on a lot. And he gets crapped on a lot. And it lays a really good foundation at the very beginning and even throughout the middle of the book. But in the end, there are uh, some rays of light coming through the cloud. And, like, he goes to a place that's, like, they seem to... 
the depravity of life seems to be woven into their daily existence. Like people drop off boats, you know, people are, uh, people are constantly being molested. Up, um, that's like an ongoing theme up in uh, New Zealand. Newfoundland. New, Newfoundland. Uh, <laughs> I said New Zealand. Didn't I? <laughs> yeah. But sorry, New Zealanders. <laughs> yeah. Well, you see, that seems to be like the like the depravity of life seems to be like a theme. People have to deal with it up there, and like it, it almost seems like it's woven in there. And somehow they come out with a ray of light. I don't know. I didn't. I don't want to seem like a like a after school special piece being overly hopeful or whatever. But I think the author consciously tried to make it hopeful at the end. Yeah, and I would say that's kind of why I thought it was sweet because. It is depressing in the beginning. I mean, somebody selling their two small daughters to, like, a creepy child molester just for some quick cash, that's, I mean, you're getting really, that's a really extreme example of, you know, what we might call human foibles. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's that's probably as dark as you can get. Right, so it is pretty dark. And then after he moves... Even though Coyle, the main character, is depressed, things kind of start coming together a little bit. People give him chances, and it's really about, like, the small moments of everyday life, like cooking a meal or going out for lunch with your coworkers. And it's just those little daily interactions that kind of boost your morale and, like, give you a place to belong. Peter articulated it really well last time, and it, for the life of me, I can't remember what you said, Peter, but do you remember at all what you said? No, no, I don't, really. Dang it. What were your favorite things about the book? My favorite thing was probably your least favorite thing. The the sentence fragments. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought, it, as you said, it kind of lent itself to like an app atmospherical kind of quality to it. Poetic. And... Yes. That was my favorite part. It was just like evocative words or phrases that didn't really make grammatical sense, but really put you there. I like the setting a lot. I, I just feel like between the introductions from the Ashley Book of Knots, which is just like has a quote about different types of knots and what they're used for, and then, you know, at first that didn't make sense, and then he gets up to, to Newfoundland and you suddenly realize, oh, this is his family's cultural heritage, and this is his heritage, and he's returning to this life. And it's just this really neat setting in this small little town on the northeast Canadian coast there, and it makes me want to go to Newfoundland. Really, that's that, that was one of my the most enjoyable things I got out of the book, honestly. Yeah, I also really liked the setting, and I felt like the setting was almost its own character, just because it had so much character. You know, a lot of the book is like a portrait of this very small community on this very remote, isolated island. That was really interesting to me. I also liked Coyle's redemption from being so downtrodden, and feeling like I'm always going to be in love with this woman who is not only dead, <laughs> but treated me horribly while she was alive. To kind of saying, you know, well, maybe that's not like a forever thing. And kind of 
opening to other possibilities. Um, what was your least favorite thing about the book? Maybe. I really enjoyed the book, so I pass. My least favorite part of the book was the beginning, and I realize it's necessary for the story arc, but the beginning was so dark and depressing, I almost didn't get through it. There wasn't like a lot of motivation to keep pushing through. <laughs> that, that was a rough first few chapters. Yeah, it really was. But, I mean, once once it got going, it was okay. But it's just like, oh my god, if this gets much more depressing, I'm going to lose it. Right. My least favorite thing was probably the writing style. Like Peter said, it's his most favorite thing. I think I would have appreciated the writing style. I mean, I wouldn't have minded it, and I would have probably appreciated it if I had been reading it to myself um, in my head. But I was reading it out loud. And that made it really hard because there were so many sentence fragments and I wouldn't know ahead of time that they were going to be a sentence fragment because, you know, there's a capital letter and there's commas in it and it ends with a period and it's kind of long. And I'd start reading it and I'd realize partway through I was reading it as a sentence, but it was actually a sentence fragment. (laughs) So I'd have to like awkwardly end it. And then sometimes I would think something was a sentence fragment because there's so many of them, but it was actually a sentence. So, like, trying to read it out loud with, like, the right um, cadence was difficult and distracted me from the things that I would have liked to pay more attention to, like the story and the characters. It was definitely a very halting writing style. But I, I, I think also, I mean, she had to have had some sort of purpose in writing like that. I mean... There had to be some sort of intent behind that, either that or she just sucks at writing, but I don't think she sucks at writing because she did Broke back, back Mountain or something like that, right? Right, yeah, and this book actually won a Pulitzer Prize. Um, so lots of people don't think that she sucks at writing, although, of course, it's kind of subjective. I think that the thing about the writing that was good, even though I ended up not liking the writing style, was that it was kind of stark. It was kind of a stark writing style, it was kind of bleak. There were kind of like lots of like fits and starts, you know, which mirrors how Coyle felt throughout the book and um, like mirrors the locale of the book. It, it all fits together really well. I mean, it, it absolutely is a good book. Um, it's just probably not a good book if you're, you know, depressed on a day in January when the sun doesn't come out. Right. (laughs) So one of the things in the book, like we've talked about how things kind of improve for Coyle after he moves to Newfoundland. He gets a job with the paper and people really like the way he writes about, he reports on the shipping news and does interest stories about boats. Um, One of the things that stayed stark in the book, and Peter touched on this, was there's all this sex abuse going on and it's reported on in the paper. And sometimes it almost feels like it's being played for laughs. And I'm curious about what your thoughts are on the sex abuse element of the story and why it was included. Um, I think it goes into like, this is another um, example of like depravity. You know, it's pretty depraved to, relate to someone as a sexual being when they're when that person is, is like hasn't gone through puberty yet 
Or is your family member... Or is your family member or anything like that. So, I don't know. <laughs> I, think, I think it's like, it goes to... It kind of is it's on theme about the depravity. I think it was kind of, uh, again, as you guys were just saying, part of the natural theme of the book, which is like, oh let's list all the unpleasant things and let's work them into a story. Okay, here we go. But you're right, towards the end, it almost did serve as a sense of uh, a topic of humor. And it wasn't like, oh, you know, molesting is coming up, let's make that funny. It was illustrating a way that people in journalism and people in fire and rescue tend to have to be exposed to these horrible, awful things that, you know, no real human should have to deal with. But in order to deal with it, they get this sense of humor and they kind of make a joke out of it. Um, And I think that goes to the theme of finding a way to adapt to life and finding a way to make the experience of life less crappy, for lack of a better term. Um, I, I think that's what the uh, molestation stories in the paper uh, were about anyway. I'm not quite sure what it was for the aunt. I think that was just something to give her character some darkness and mystery and, you know, damage. Give her her own set of damage in addition to Coyle's damage and what he brought to the book. Right. You make a good point that it's not like they're trotting out sex abuse and saying, like, it's so funny. You're making fun of the victims. It, It's kind of like um, Nutbeam, who is the reporter who has to deal with this, is kind of like kind of like having a mini meltdown about it or, you know, um, reciting all of it. And um, to me, like, it made me feel a little uncomfortable. But then I do wonder, like, why was it included? And I do agree that it ties in with a lot of the themes of the book. And it's a, a good point you have that, you know, people who are exposed to that stuff on a regular basis kind of have to learn how to deal with it. And one of the ways that they cope is through humor. You could make an argument that, you know, it, sh- it should be included in a realistic book because sex abuse is unfortunately extremely common. It is a realistic thing. You know, it's a realistic book with realism and, and sex abuse is like very common. Yeah. Right. It, it could have just been like uh, an inclusion from the author to be like, hey, this is an issue. Uh, let's talk about it. I, yeah. I think it was probably partly that, too. But I, I think it was also, you know, this this whole design of the story is, I think, to take things that would be barriers to a life that would make a life hard and really examine those and kind of demonstrate how Coyle is able to kind of muddle his way through those and actually have some hope even in the midst of what would seem like a very depressing life. So what did you guys think of the characters? Who who were your favorite and least favorite characters? My least favorite was the aunt. I don't know why. Um, I just didn't like her. Um, I think... My favorite character was Jack Bucket because he was so gritty and real and honest. Um, I don't know what his fake death was about, but other than that, Jack Bucket is awesome. 
Yeah, there was a really weird part at the end where he, like, died and then had a wake and then wasn't actually dead. It was weird. I don't know what to make of that either. Mm-hmm. What about you, Peter, about characters? Um, I guess I'll go with your answer and say Newfoundland. Um, the way that it was described uh, really made it seem like a really neat character. And the way it interacted with the other characters was just a central was just a central central to the entire book. So if we're gonna say Newfoundland was a character, I'm gonna go with that. People, I'll just say Coil. I liked I liked um, I just, I mean he was the most described character, and um, I really liked the writing the the writing. So there's a lot of good stuff about Coil. Yeah, I really liked Newfoundland as a character, like I mentioned before. Um, and um, I also, like, really enjoyed the character of Turk Card, um, who was one of the workers at the paper who was, like, very rude and brusque. And Turk Card is not someone who I would like to have lunch with or hang out in real life. But I found his character pretty entertaining. And I would say least favorite is I didn't really like uh, Coyle's kids. <laughs> Even though his his poor little daughter was suffering with the attacks of the creepy white dog? I mean, I liked them, but it was hard. They just, like, randomly come in and say something silly, and then it was over. I don't know. Like... <laughs> I feel, like, kind of callous saying that I didn't like the little children, but... Well, you know, as you mentioned that, I'm kind of reflecting, and I don't know if you remember, but at the beginning of the book, when the kids were introduced, it almost felt like they were an afterthought. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That was one of the things that I didn't really like about the style of the book. It felt so distant from the characters, and... You know, we have Coil, and he's married to Petal. And then, like, the first time the kids are introduced, they've already been around for, like, months. You know, they're already, like, the first child is mentioned, and she's already, like, months old. And I'm like, you know, wouldn't that be kind of a huge deal? Like, a pregnancy, especially, like, a first pregnancy, your first kid, is going to be kind of memorable. And we didn't hear about that at all. We heard about it after the fact. From a large distance, it felt like. And so I agree with you, absolutely, it felt like an afterthought. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point in that the whole book was distant. Like, you, I always felt like I was watching the story from about 30 miles away. It wasn't really up close and personal. Yeah, it's interesting because it wasn't like an emotional reading experience, even though the story is kind of a story about... Uh, one person's emotional transformation. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's just a really strange book. Really strange book. Good, but strange. I don't really remember the uh, the kids being an afterthought. What made you guys think it was an af- the kids were an afterthought? For me, it was the way they were introduced. You know, he was kind of telling his story, and it's like, okay, you know, I met and these kids. I met Petal, and, oh, I have kids, and, oh, Petal hates me, and, oh, I pay attention to the kids, but I'm not going to talk about the kids very much. They just kind of exist. I, I don't know. It, it it really felt like 
the development of the kids and the incorporation of the kids into the story wasn't as well presented and well thought out as maybe it could have been? Why I think they seem like an afterthought was the way they were introduced. I mean, we hear about very specific, you know, microscopic detail of certain interactions between Petal and Coil and like Mm. how she writes down a phone number and, you know, what she's wearing or the sparkle of her eye. And it's just like very detailed. And you would think that, you know, there's a lot to write about with a kid, but they were only introduced after, and I don't even remember. I could not figure it out, like, during the whole story. Like, I always kept forgetting, like, who was the older kid? Was it Bunny or Sunshine? Yeah. Because they didn't seem to have, like, distinct personalities. Um, when the first one was introduced, it was, like, very brief. We only heard about her after she'd been born and was, like, existing for a while, and then all of a sudden, here comes the next one, and... There was no emotional connection. And and then there was the names that you just mentioned, Bunny and Sunshine. They're kind of like a pet name. So I think you mentioned this, Nicholas. The chapter headings from the Ashley Book of Knots or in the Mariner's Dictionary. Did you get them? Did, Did you think they added anything to the book? I think they added to the sense of setting and theme. I don't think they really previewed what was to come in the next chapter. They were just kind of, okay, we're in this book called Shipping News, so here's a little bit of shipping culture for you. Yeah, uh, I hadn't really thought of that, but I just wanted to agree with Nicholas on that. Didn't really further or give the reader any or listener <laughs> any kind of idea of what was going on in the chapter or anything like that. It just kind of adds to the setting. What if that was a really important thing to know in that setting? You know, you should, you should probably know how to tie some knots. Yeah, I agree that I think they added to the atmosphere of the book. Newfoundland is an island. Everybody has boats. I often didn't see the connection between the chapter epigraph, the excerpt from the Ashley Book of Knots, and what happened in the chapter, unless it was, like, really obvious. Like... There's one near the beginning of the book where it says, you know, a coil is like a, it's a single layer knot that's on the deck, or it's like, it's not even a knot, it's just like a single layer of wrapped rope so that you can step on it easily. And then the chapter talks about how pedal walks all over coil, basically. So I'm like, okay, that's obvious. But a lot of times it wasn't that obvious, and I didn't really understand like what she was getting at and like the best I could come up with overall for like the not imagery in in the beginning of the chapters was it kind of is about like the things that tie us to life like the book is about those little daily life and simple pleasures that kind of tie us to life I like like, that good observation that's like the, the best I could come up with and I I was like, oh, if I was really into this book, I would probably go back and, like, after I finished a chapter, go back and and read the epigraph and see if it made more sense after the chapter, but I wasn't that into it. (laughs) So, yeah, life in Newfoundland in this book is depicted as being really difficult, but the people who are there seem to like it well enough. I was wondering if we could talk about like maybe what people gain from that kind of life. 
kind of like had to band together to get through it all. And you take a lot of, I mean, when there's, there's not a whole lot of joy around you, you find a lot of joy in the people around you. So it's a, there's a banding together of sources, you know, to get through the winter to, you know, help each other out. Yeah, I think it's it's very much a environment that forces a tight-knit community. Um, and I think that was probably one of the appeals for Coyle as he was moving up there was he went from, you know, a standard American city where you can be very, very detached and, you know, you don't need a lot of people to rely on to make, make you survive, but... You know, you go up into Newfoundland and suddenly you need uh, a ship and you need to know the guy that makes the ship. Uh, And suddenly you need to know the guy at the port and you need to know what's coming into the port and who relies on that and who owns the restaurant and when is it open and, you know... Do they serve things on the menu that they don't necessarily advertise? I, I don't know. It was very, very rough environment that leads to a tight-knit community, which actually... I've thought about this a lot. I think the places where the environment is harsher in the winter, uh, Newfoundland being one of them, I think people, because they're inside a lot and they talk to pe- each other a lot, I think they tend to be more intellectual than, say, somewhere like Los Angeles, where you're outside a lot and you don't have to spend a lot of time, you know, in a confined space with it being really dark talking to someone. So I I think, you know, maybe these characters weren't intellectual, but I think they certainly relied on each other a lot more than if they had in another setting. Yeah, I think that one of the benefits is that people, like, Coyle was in the United States when he was living in a big city and he was working at a paper, people didn't really appreciate him very much. But when he moved to this very small community, he was like this interesting new person. And um, he got hired at the paper. And even though his skills weren't any different than they were in the U.S., they found a, a way to like put him to use. So it's like they don't take anybody for granted because there's so few people and everybody has something to contribute not expendable yeah so like nobody's like superfluous or expendable everybody has you know something about them that is valuable and when you're constantly around people who know you 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 might be able to um see that more about yourself than if you're constantly around people who don't even have the time to look at you Um, so there's the theme of love in this book, and, um, I was wondering what you guys thought, because there's romantic love, right? Everybody knows about romantic love, and then there's love between, you know, family members, um, and friends, and in this book, Petal, Coyle's abusive, dead wife, has such a hold on him, even after selling their girls off to some weirdo sex pervert. And why is it easy for him to have a loving relationship with his daughters and his aunt, but he seems to have a block when it comes to a romantic partner? He had a romantic relationship with Petal, but it was a very dysfunctional 
Like he has a much more functional, oh. loving relationship with his daughters and his aunt and his friends at work even. And would you say his relationship with Wavy wasn't as romantic? Or wasn't romantic well, at all? Well, she or? was a romantic interest, but he was like, well, I don't know if I can do this. Like, as long as I'm with her, anytime I'm in bed with her, I'm also going to be in bed with Petal. Like, he basically was like, oh, yeah, I could have a romantic relationship with Wavy, but it's going to be an unhealthy romantic relationship. Like, that's how he had been framing it. And at the very end, he was like, yeah, maybe love without pain is possible, but until that point, he had pretty much convinced himself, probably because of his experiences, but he had pretty much convinced himself that, um, like, a romantic relationship is an unhealthy relationship. Well, I, I think it was his naivete that kind of put him in that situation of having an unhappy romance. Because, I don't know, I think he kind of expected Petal to come into his life and make everything better. And because he was expecting that, he just went along with it, whatever she said, and, you know, she just happened to be a horrible, terrible person. And he loved her unconditionally anyway. So there, I think there was, as you're, like, both saying, like, um, a comment about love, definitely. But I didn't walk away with it being clear. Except for the last line of the book. Yeah, by the last line of the book, he seems to have kind of healed himself of that idea. But yeah, I think Nicholas is right that it's kind of about expectations. Like, we put so much, we have so many beliefs about romantic relationships and what what they mean and what we should get out of them that, you know, that we don't have those ex- same expectations with most family relationships. And so in a sense, like those come easier because we don't have all this like social cultural meanings built up around it. Romantic love is very idealized. And I think Coyle is somebody who very much idealized his partner and idealized romantic love. And it kind of, when he lost it was so, he was so distraught. He kind of like overlooked the other loving relationships he has in his life, like with his family members. Or even with the one friend he had. Right. So by like emphasizing that one relationship so much, when he couldn't have it, it was like devastating. And the whole book is kind of like about him coming around to be like, well, romantic love doesn't have to be like that all consuming. Like I can have like this nice, easy partnership with Wavy you know, I can care about her kids, she can care about my kids. So that was nice to see that shift. I thought it was very humbling. Like, the whole idea of the book seemed to be to be humble and to look at the small things in life. And, you know, not to, not to see big, but to see small. That's that's kind of what I felt from the book. Right. I felt like reading it, I felt like alternately like um, frustrated and touched because I'm like, oh, you know, there's like little things about it that are frustrating, but it's also um, touching like the relationships we build um, with people. So, Nicholas, it sounds like you think that it was kind of nice to see a story told about the small things about everyday life and did you think that was, like, a nice way to tell a story? 
it was a good story. It's a story that I think you can get a lot of, not enjoyment from, but value out of. This is one of those annoying books that would show up on in a high school English class, I'm sure, eventually. <laughs> um, so, you know, I wouldn't call it a fun read, but I'd call it a, an insightful read, a read that makes you think, uh, a read that makes you, you know, get get something out of it, learn something from the book. Um, and if any, if it's trying to teach you anything, you know, it's like, hey, look at the small, minute details of life. Maybe in looking at the small, minute details of life, you can, you know, not focus on some of the bigger aspects that make life great or make life terrible. Just focus on the small, mundane things, and, you know, that's something that you overlook on a day-to-day basis. Right, and sometimes if you if you look closely, some of those things are going to be terrible, but if they're a small part of your daily life, then that's a small bit of terribleness, and if you look at the nice things, then, you know, it kind of, like, has that perspective built into it. Um, would you recommend the book? I would. I would. I would recommend it with the proviso that, you know, this is... A book of literature, this is not a book of entertainment, but I think it's a good piece of literature. Yeah, uh, I'd recommend it. Yeah, uh, I'd recommend it. I would recommend it with um, reservations. Like, I think there's a certain kind of reader who would love this book. Like, my mom, for instance, I told her I was reading The Shipping News, and she said, The Shipping News! I love that book! She likes authors who who kind of have something a little melancholy about the stories they tell. And if that's the kind of book that people are drawn to, then I think this is an excellent choice for them. But if people are drawn to like chiclet, you know, probably not this fantasy, right? This isn't, this isn't that kind of like engaging, easily accessible storyline, fun type of book. Well, thank you both for joining me to talk about this book. 